This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Off and running with episode 158 of the Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. What's going on, folks? Hopefully you are enjoying your day wherever you are. For those of you who listen while you're on the road to the podcast, we appreciate it. Got a lot of good feedback from the show with Broderick Baggard from Together Baton Rouge. Some people were happy with what he said, some were not. But either way, the overwhelming thought was that it was informative, whether it either changed minds or confirmed what people thought about what he said. And St. George and that issue is going to be a big one for Baton Rouge and East Baton Rouge Parish if you're in the area over the next few years. And you can always give me your feedback on what's happening here on the show. You can email me. My email address at the website is clay at podcast225.com. And, of course, you can communicate, as many of you do, with me on social media, on Facebook, and on Twitter, backslash, uh, excuse me, on, on, on Twitter, at ClayYoungBR. I'm even on Instagram. And so I don't do very much there with Instagram a lot of the social media stuff for me is a function of what we do in business and you know you have to be involved with it but i sometimes find some of it to be just exercises and negativity for a lot of people or a waste of time but you know that's the way it goes and so as not to uh, try to f- sound like an old fart who just hates everything i don't want to do that i'll just say that sometimes it's it can be a bit much right it can be a bit much Speaking of a subject that's not a bit much, it's about the capital region of Baton Rouge, of Louisiana rather, the greater Baton Rouge area. And our guest on today's show is a city councilwoman who has been involved in local government for a number of years. And she will have perspective on what's going on here now. We're going to talk about the issues of blight and its impact on lower income areas. Talk a little bit about the function of government and what we can do to actually turn what I consider politics. And you've all heard me give you my definition of politics. It's the the action of doing nothing while looking busy. And how can we take that and flip it on its head and actually turn it into something that is more about being effective? And so I'm looking forward to that conversation with her. She will be getting in here into the studio in just a moment. And so we'll have a a dialogue about that and a lot of other things as well. There's been a lot, as you know, going on in Baton Rouge over the last month. And so we'll talk with Tara Wicker of the Baton Rouge City Council, the Metropolitan Council, in just a moment. I want to remind you again, if you haven't heard or if you haven't put it into your calendars yet, mark it down for Sunday, May 20th. It is the fifth annual Smoke Em If You Got Them fundraiser, benefiting military vets and first responders. It's at 5 o'clock at Ben 77 Bistro in Perkins Row in Baton Rouge. This year's beneficiary is the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation and they support families and marriages and do some work with the men and women of our first responder groups around the world, excuse me, around the country, maybe they'd love to be around the world, but around the country and obviously military vets who have served around the world. And so that is Sunday, May 20th. 
The tickets are $100, and within the next couple of weeks, in fact, we'll announce it next week, you'll be able to know where you can go to buy your tickets online, or you can pay for them at the door. And we've got some surprises this year. This year's event is being presented by Mockler Beverage. They are the presenting sponsor in association with GEICO, Insurance Procurement Services, Guarantee Media, Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution, Open Eyes Safety Training and Consulting, and of, clo- and of course, Clay Young Enterprises. Proud to bring this to you once again and looking forward to seeing many of you at the fifth edition of Smoke 'em If You Got 'em. All right, quick break, and then we are back with Councilwoman Tara Wicker of the EBR Metro Council. That's just after this. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. This is Jeff LaDuff, retired chief of police for the city of Baton Rouge. I'm Kelly LaDuff, co-owner of Open Eyes Safety Training and Consulting. Open Eyes is focused on providing quality safety solutions that give businesses and employees the skill set needed to recognize and react to dangerous situations. On a daily basis, we hear yet another story of workplace violence or active shooter. Open Eyes offers a unique approach to keeping you and your businesses safe through site analysis, technology recommendations, policy review, and employee training. To set up a consultation for your business, call us today at 225-313-9713 or visit us at our website at OpenEyesSafetyTraining.com. We say keep open eyes because 10% of our population cause 90% of our problems. See them before they see you. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Back with Tara Wicker, who is a third-term member of the Metro Council in Baton Rouge, representing District 10. That includes large parts of Baton Rouge and LSU, and she has been in government locally here now for Almost 20 years. Yes, yes. I have to do it by by kids. You know, I have six (laughs) children and my oldest is 22. (laughs) And so it was in, um, gosh, 2001. Yeah. When I started with um, Mayor Bobby Simpson, I was actually assistant chief administrative officer. That's exactly right. That was one kid away. I mean, you know, I have like 20 now, but, you know. It's so funny. That's when we met, when Mm -hmm. you were working with Bobby Simpson, and we were at a basketball game uh, a few weeks ago for your son uh, is older than my youngest, but they were playing in the gym, and so Mike was there. Uh, your husband and so yes. Mike and I were talking. By the way, you guys beat us that night. I, you know, I, well, I you know, I wasn't going to bring that up. Remember but, uh, that I wasn't going to bring that yeah, up. I but, forgive you, know, you guys. Yeah, okay, but. I'm just saying I wasn't going <laughs> to bring that up. It was a good game. It was a good game. So, so Mike and I are talking, and Mike makes a reference to your daughter and how much she looks like you. Yes. And so she's a cheerleader. Yes. And so I couldn't see because of where they were, and then she came over and I said. Oh my God! So I call her TJ. Oh. So her name is Trinity. She's yeah. my seventeen-year-old. She yeah. was just um, 
elected Miss Southern High. That's right. And um, so she looks exactly. Mike is in there nowhere. I mean, you know, it's, she's like it's my jarring how how much she. But just great kids, all of them, and your baby. I can tell that she runs yeah, the roost and she does. the whole thing. And Mainly. so, and we sat and we talked that night a lot about the city and progress and you know as long as I've known you you've never been a person who plays in the mud Mm -mm. and I find that to be more and more of a virtue in politics Mm. sometimes you got to get rough but you don't necessarily have to be dirty that's right that's right and I think you know my mom gave me some advice many many years ago when I was in politics because a lot of times you you end up in situations where you know, you had to do things or say things that may have not been popular, but mm-hmm. it was right. Yeah. And she said, Tara, she said, honey, she said, you may have to stand alone sometimes. Mm-hmm. She said, but at the end of the day, you always do what is the right thing to do. Right. And so that's what's carried me. Um, you know, it allows me to, to, to step in a position where I don't have to get down. You know, you don't take it personal. Right. You know, this is really about how do we make our community, our city a better place. And at the end of the day, when you recognize that that's the real goal, then it is not necessary to get in the mud. It's not necessary to get ugly because then at that point it becomes more about you and less about the people. Well, let's go to the beginning. You know, after college and the whole thing and you end up in government, what drew you to government? Wow. So, um, you know, Dr. Lorenz. Jim Lorenz. Oh, my gosh, right? Oh, man. So he, if you don't like Jim Lorenz, <laughs> something is wrong with you. Let's just let's just leave that right there. He was um, he was over the political science yeah. department yeah. at Southern University, yeah. and I took a class with him, and um, that class changed my life. Right. Um, you know, it was just really just learning about because he he taught it in a way that allowed you the opportunity to see how you could utilize that that course right. to make a difference. Right. And um, so it was that, and then it was a, a con law class that I mm-hmm. took. Constitutional law mm-hmm. just really drew me into policy yeah. and the idea of being able to utilize policy, how it impacts our everyday life. And that was, you know, I think at that point I was kind of hooked. At, but interestingly enough, at that time, I never even thought about running for office. Mm-hmm. I was taking an urban planning class <laughs> at Southern University. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy that came in from um, out of town with this new organization that was here that was going to change the world. Mm-hmm. And that was a local initiative support corporation. I said, you know, it paid a whopping $18,000, <laughs> you know, and I'm a young kid. And, and literally, Clay, I was the only one in the entire class when the guy said, is anybody interested that raised my hand? And so that charted my course. You know, you never know sort of what experiences will put you on the right path. Right. And for me, that was it. And I learned about community development and community organizing. Mm-hmm. And that became the, you know, that became the draw for me. How'd you end up working with the the Simpson administration when he was mayor of Baton Rouge? So that was interesting. I was um, very young and I decided at that time that I had learned all that I needed to learn. I worked for, for the national company out of New York Lisk mm-hmm. and was coming to the end of that. I was actually going to the Metro Council for um, working with some of my clients. I had started a development company, Community Builders. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was there and I had already set an appointment with Mayor Simpson's office to tell him about my new little nonprofit. You know, mm-hmm. we were gonna change the world and I wanted to work with CDCs. And so I was there at a Metro Council meeting, not knowing that he was standing there watching me the whole time. Wow. So I'm talking, to, you know, representing my clients. We want, we need to get this adjudicated property. This is what we want to do with the property. And so he calls me across the hall and he says, you know, I start my whole speech. And I'm like, you know, this is a great opportunity. You know, we're going to do a lot of great things in neighborhoods. And he tells me, he said, you know, okay. He says, so let's, let's cut, cut to the turkey. He said, I uh, want you to come work for me. And, and I froze and I'm sitting here like, wait, what, what, 
I'm here to tell you about my company. Right, I just right. started. I haven't even been a, a few months in starting this. And you want me to. And so it was it was phenomenal. And not knowing that he had been watching me during the time that we were doing the um, community policing mm-hmm. definition. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were all meeting at the River Center, having conversation about right. what is community policing? How do you turn it on? Right. Developing that definition. So I was at a round table and not knowing he told me this later that he had been watching me the mm-hmm. whole time and really felt that I would be a benefit and an asset to his administration. Um, he asked me to to come on the morning I was supposed to report um, the Twin Towers situation yep. happened. That was a Tuesday morning. It was a Tuesday morning. I remember morning. it well. Yeah, and mm-hmm. um, I was supposed so needless to say, I was delayed for mm-hmm. a moment until we could kind of get everything going. But that was the start of, of that and um, absolutely enjoyed my time in the mayor's office. It was an experience I'll never, ever forget. What do you think was the biggest lesson learned from that experience being in the mayor's mm. office? Because you get to really see yeah. the inside of it. Uh, you know, I've often told people that what you read about in the newspaper and what you see on the news is almost always only a fraction of the truth That's right. of what's going on. That's right. And so you go beyond that, not just from learning the process, but to being a part of the decision making. Right. What's the biggest takeaway? Wow. From that? So the biggest takeaway, I think, to be honest with you, and I have to be brutally honest at this That's point. That's what we like. Um, you know, I was in, in, in Bobby's administration, which was an absolutely great learning experience for me. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was, you know, Joan, Joan Smith's daughter, mm-hmm. right? And so I was, I grew up in, a, in an environment where my mother refused to ever allow me to ever be intimidated in any situation. Right. So when I walked in the room, she said, if you're in that room, you belong in that room. Yep. Bobby's administration really prepared me for an appreciation of the vast diversity of our community. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times I was, you know, sometimes the only African American mm-hmm. or the only mm-hmm. woman, and none of that mattered. Right. But Bobby would do something that was very unique, Clay, and, and he's gonna kill me when he finds out I'm telling this, but he would he would put me in certain rooms and because of the fact that he knew that I didn't have the, um, I wasn't very easily intimidated mm-hmm. and I would just say the truth and mm-hmm. say whatever was right. I walked in, to, he would put me in rooms that quite honestly, even as the mayor, that he just couldn't say certain things. Mm -hmm. And so he allowed me to have that flexibility because he trusted me enough to know that I wasn't going to embarrass the administration, Mm -hmm. that I was going to do the right thing, and that I brought some balance. So for me, I think it gave me a true appreciation of the impact, the importance, and the opportunities that we have Mm -hmm. as a result of having such a diverse community. That was huge for me. And so coming out of that, after four years, a very contentious election uh, you know, there are so many people who are still around now, with the exception of maybe the former mayor Holden, yeah. uh, who ended up working in city government. I mean, William Daniel was a candidate there, ended up doing some work for Kip in the mayor's office, and was there for the first few months of the Broom administration. Right. And it, it, you know, Kip comes in after this is over with. What do you do? Yeah, you know, it was it was real interesting. You mean in terms of the, like the mayor? Yeah, tenure. after, after so, you leave, yeah, leave the mayor. You know, office. You, you meet so many people, you learn uh, so much, and we were in a real unique situation because right after that, Hurricane Katrina hit. Yeah, and so um, you know, Bobby and I were um, members of a very large congregation. I was a member of Bethany, Bethany World Press Center. Right. I've been there since right. I was eleven years right. old, and. We were called in at the time to say, hey, you know, we have all this going on. We really need some help. So uh, Pastor Larry Stockstill um, brought Bobby in to say, hey, let's start this. We called it the City of Hope. Mm. And so we actually went in and during a, during that time we ran. We had about 11, 1,700 
hurricane survivors that we were responsible. I was a shower girl, by the way. You know, I was the first person that people would see covered in oil. And the first thing they want outside of food or a place to lay my head, can I please just get a shower? <laughs> so I was the most favorite person. But we spent that time writing and putting together standard operating procedures for disasters as it relates to faith-based communities. And um, so I did that for a while. I ran the, the um, Bethany Center of Hope mm-hmm. and um, was driving down the street, down Plank Road, passing by the Burger King and Baker mm-hmm. when it hit me. And I, don't, I have no idea, Clay, other than it was just a thought that came from God that said, I wonder if um, that uh, District 10 office is going to be... Um, vacated because Lori Burgess mm-hmm. was in the seat mm-hmm. at the time and I said you know and I, and I knew I said well I don't want to run against her if she has time I want to let her finish right. you know but I want to I'm interested and I called and sure enough she was her term limit she was, was termed out, out. Mm-hmm. and at that moment I looked to my husband and I said you know I think I want to run for counsel and he he opens his mouth to say no way <laughs> I was I was gonna ask what did Mike say when okay. like almost like you know he wasn't pastoring a lot he didn't curse but it was like no way you know, and he said that he literally heard the hand of God and the voice of God said, that's me. And so we researched it and, and um, it was an interesting time because at the time we were, my house had burned down mm. and it was kind of like one of those, mm. like you don't think about running yeah. for office when you're yeah. going through kind of that kind of tragic situation. But it was, it was the right thing to do. It was the time and I felt it yeah. in my knower. Yeah. I knew that it was time for me to do that. And it's interesting because of the transition of Baton Rouge because you are starting your third to well, you're almost two years or a year and a half into your third term now. Yeah. So you've been there over nine, almost 10 years. Yes. So a decade. And I tend to look at life as a rolling series of decades and Mm. how over 10 year periods, so much changes. If you track your life back every 10 years, you'll see all the people that you have that you did not have. Some people that you don't have that you used to have. And then all the experiences you've had. Go back to 2008. 2008, you think about Gustav happens that year. And there's so many other things going on. So in your time there, the first eight years, what's the biggest thing about Baton Rouge that you say is better? Yes. And the biggest thing about Baton Rouge that you say we still have yet to fix Mm. or, or improve? Wow. So I think the biggest thing that I would say that Baton Rouge is better I think is that you know we learned so many lessons from Katrina we learned so many lessons from Gustav and so I think it's been interesting because the path of Baton Rouge has allowed us to grow in places that we weren't even comfortable Mm -hmm. in growing it kind of forced us into that and so we almost became you know we became big city overnight whether we were ready whether our infrastructure was ready whether our traffic was ready for it it was like hey here it is deal with it and I think as a result of us sort of being placed into that that forced sense of growth yeah. that it allowed us to think differently, think yeah. outside of the box, think about Baton Rouge more on a, on a regional and a national scale mm-hmm. as opposed to just sort of we're just kind of here in yeah. our own little piece of this world and nobody else matters. Yeah. So I think our ability to be able to move beyond just us as a, as a city and recognize our larger opportunities and capacity beyond our borders yeah. was huge. And the, and the thing that we still have yet to fix or improve or... Can I say blight? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about because I wanted to that's a good one because I want because that so much is tied to blight but yeah you know let's take our time here I want to talk about the people right I often say that we don't give ourselves enough credit for being a town of compassionate Mm. neighbors yes and 
the the best example of that is the summer of 2016. In July, mm. the entire town is in upheaval after the Sterling shooting. And then less than three weeks later, we get three officers assassinated, two more wounded. Right. And then it, it, there's just this palpable intensity in the air. Right. Three weeks later, the flood happens. Yes. And people from the country club are in Gus Young helping people. That's right. Black, white, whatever. And that, and I said, that's Baton Rouge. Yeah. That you're absolutely right. That that in its core is really who we are. Because right. Clay, at that moment, it didn't matter if you were black. It didn't nope. matter if you were white. Nope. It didn't matter if you were rich or nope. poor. It didn't matter if you were educated nope. or uneducated. We were all like... We're in this together. Oh, We've yeah. got to survive. Houses flooded from Windburn to Hushatu. Exactly. <laughs> it didn't matter. I mean, really it matter. had no, right. it, it, it did, did not, not discriminate. discriminate at right. all. Right. And so I think in, in terms of, in terms of that, it was, you know, if, if you, you know, and I, I say this with caution, but you know, if there was a silver lining in it all, I think it allowed us that, that moment of opportunity to see ourselves really as one mm-hmm. and, and really see each other beyond color, but mm-hmm. see each other's heart. Mm-hmm. Because you had a lot of people that were serving meals in mm-hmm. communities that they probably had never even driven never, through. Right, that's exactly right. So you can't, I mean, that kind of learned lesson, that kind of opportunity, that kind of exposure. You know, we always say with kids, exposure is the best educator. Yep. And I believe it as well with adults. When you're exposed to something, it changes your mm-hmm. perspective. I mm-hmm. heard it once said that I've never met a person I didn't like once. I heard their story. Right. And so I think that in itself um, allowed us an opportunity to see ourselves um, in a different way. So I guess that kind of, to me, again, goes along with some of the good that happened. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Clay, the reality of it is there are still individuals out there that would prefer Baton Rouge to be segregated. No Baton question. Rouge to be, you know, um, it, uh, divided. Right. And they utilize those positions of whether it's influence, power, their voice, or whatever, to create this sort of, in my opinion, really falsehood of I agree. who we are not. I agree. And it's so destructive. You know, culturally, there are differences in culture. Right. And I think that that is okay. I actually think that's wonderful mm-hmm. because of all of the things that we can learn from each other's culture. But at the end of the day, there are a set of priorities that I think every man, woman, and child, you know, would want. And here in Baton Rouge now, that we are facing some realities about race. Yes. And many of them are healthy for us to think about, but some of them are farcical. And, and what I mean by that is you were part of, of, of our canvas in your district yes. where people who would never drive through parts of your district were there That's right. and they got a chance to meet the people there and they leave away going, Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, people are people. People are people. People are people. And so it's, you know, my head's not in the sand. I'm not Pollyanna. Clearly there's some destructive, evil people on both sides. And that's the truth. But I don't think we can help one another if we're afraid of one another. Exactly. You've got to be able to to be willing to um, sit at the table, have a conversation, and, and not be so rigid that we... Are uncomfortable with talking about our differences. Right. I mean, we we are different, and right. like you said, those things should be celebrated and not sure. something that is used as another opportunity to divide us because we are so much more alike than we are different. A hundred percent. And you know, the in working in city government, and the thing that is that's so off putting to me with politics because I've spent so many years around it, and I tell people I don't have a big catalog of people that I've worked with in politics because some of it is just it's a it's it's a fake, and the person running really doesn't care about. Doing doing anything they just want to get elected that's right and I watch the city council meetings and yes sometimes they are the most entertaining things that I can sit in front of a television and watch 
But there is real business. Hundreds of millions of dollars moved through the city on every level in those meetings. That's right. Huge. And people aren't paying attention. Yes. I mean, you know, we 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 fund major, major industry, major operations. And I, and I think, and let me just say this too, I think that, you know, dealing with rates in terms of our differences and all of that kind of stuff to me becomes the easy thing to deal Absolutely. with. Absolutely. Right? It's just easy. It's there. Abs- I can Absolutely. deal with it and, and just coin it as mm-hmm. that's something racial. At the end of the day, if you look at it at the core, and I had this conversation with even some of my police officers, and they said, Tara, he said, they said, you really get it, is that it becomes an economic issue. Yeah. So let's let's have that conversation about economics and, and, and economic uh, equity or inequity mm-hmm. or whatever that is, and then that becomes the larger, more productive sure. conversation, I believe. And, you so, know, even talking about policing, I've, I've said this and I've had law enforcement friends in here you know Jeff LaDuff is a dear friend Mm -hmm. to us both it's that if you there are no such things as perfect police departments right no such things where there are police departments where every person in there is a good guy that's right same is true of schools that's right churches business no perfect people there are no perfect people so you are always going to have people on a job in some industry that probably should be doing something else that's right so let's let's acknowledge that fact. Mm-hmm. But where there should be change or where there should be improvement or or something, how about we act like adults <laughs> and have a conversation about those things as opposed to the, the what's going on right now, right? Which isn't conducive to anything that's effective. Well, and then it becomes non-productive because you never actually get a chance to deal with the issue, right? And so, you know, I, I am, I am really pleased, and I'll, I'll be just, you know, really honest. Councilman Trey Walsh and I, you know, about almost two years now, said, hey, you know, we're we're looking at talking about policy that is going to change the way that we function and operate as a community mm-hmm. and and it was after a really tough situation that our community had to deal with with right. Alton Sterling yeah. and, the, and the shooting of the police officers but we you know we had to really deal with it in a way that if we're going to be making policy decisions you at least need to have an opportunity for the dialogue to happen with the community to say right. this is what we believe is important as right. opposed to just sitting here making just arbitrary policy sure. and assuming that that was going to be the the saving grace and so you know there are people in every industry. I mean, I'm a former, my, my husband, Mike, is a former state trooper. Right. You know, and that's so, right. And so, yeah. so if, for those of you who didn't know that, <laughs> and I meant to say that earlier, but you were making a point, but yes, Mike was on the job as a member of the state police. That's right. That's <laughs> right. For many, many years right. and absolutely loved being a state trooper. And, you know, and, and the thing about it was, you know, they were, they trained their officers to be professional. And so it was, it was sort of, you've got to be able to treat people the way that you want to be treated. Right. And, you know, so I'm excited about, uh, Chief Paul being in that position because I know that background, I know that training, and it's all what we what what everybody expects. But Clay, at the end of the day, we've got to be able to be okay with having that uncomfortable conversation. But as you and I talked about it before, it becomes more than just sitting around the table having dialogue, right? right? Everybody is okay oh with talking. Yeah. And yes. we talk and we do it yes. and it's great and you do have to at least start there, but that can't be the ending point. It's you almost have like to... a stall, like we were talking yesterday. Yeah. It's almost like let's talk so we don't have to actually go do anything. <laughs> do anything. Right? You... And and you don't you don't help the situations change. You know, I know that you are very supportive of education and your kids, and I know that you and Michael push your kids to get them the most out of themselves. Yes. And obviously the legislative body you sit on is is not connected to the school board. But as a leader and and, and as I take I'm going to take this approach, not from an attacking standpoint, but just a reality standpoint. What do we do? 
to get a school system that people can be proud of. Now, I understand where I'm coming from. I'm not dogging Warren Drake because I, I, I like him a lot and respect him. Right. I know many of the people who sit on the city council. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. It's bigger than just the school system. That's right. There are socioeconomic realities that the school system can't fix if it was a billion-dollar right. operation. But what do we need to do to be able to get the best out of our young people and and get the best out of the right. system? And I, mean, I, and I hope people understand that. I don't mean that question as a derogation. I'm just trying to get to a reality about it. You're absolutely right. I mean, at the end of the day, at the core of it is we have to be able to make sure that we're graduating people that are ready for the workforce. Yeah. Because the, the, the most disheartening thing is that, you know, we're having people, we're training people, and we, we're not really preparing them for the workforce that mm-hmm. we have here. And that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a huge gap. Absolutely. And so I'm going I'm to I'm go out here on a limb, but I'm going to tell you exactly what I believe, and I'm going I'm to link it with transportation, okay. Clay. I believe that we would be, we're foolish as a community, as a city, to think that to solve our transportation problems that we're going to have one mode of transportation and it's going to solve our issues, right? Right. right. Number one, we've got to be able to look, think beyond, again, the, the boundaries of Baton Rouge. How are we effectively connecting to other communities around us, other parishes mm-hmm. and other regions? Um, but at the same time, the culture of transportation. So you may have a, a neighborhood or an area where bus rapid transit may work really great. Mm-hmm. You may have an area where a tram would work really great an area where the bus service would work really great. So there has to be this, an array of opportunities and options that are available for people. You know, when we were 16, you know, the rite of passage was, I got to get a car. Yes. You know what I'm saying? My 22-year-old is like, car means gas, maintenance, insurance. (laughs) Give me an Uber, you know, and I can get where I need to go. So even the mentality of transportation as it relates to our young people has changed, and we have to change with that. The same to me holds true with education. Mm -hmm. To me, it's educate our children by any means necessary. I'm a product of the, the public school system. I'm a product of the... Um, Catholic school system. Mm-hmm. I'm a product of the magnet school system. I mean, you know, my mom sort of, I had an array. Right, right. So I had an experience in all of those categories. And I think those options should be available. You can't tell me that there's one way or one system that's going to work with my baby well and it's going to work. But I mean, it, it, people retreat to their silos, even the discussion about charters. Yes. And listen, I fully agree that if someone gets a charter, that they should be vetted and they should have to meet the same standard of accountability because charter schools people are public schools because they use public dollars. That's right. They are public schools. But the discussion just shuts down like so many, oh, we can't talk about that. We want to talk about charters, we can't talk. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, folks. In our day where it was the books and the blackboard these kids, it's different now. They're on iPads and phones, and they don't, I mean, they don't really touch books anymore. That's right. That's right. I mean, again, so you know I have 20 children, right? Yeah. I have six, <laughs> but I'll tell you, right now in my own household, we have an array of education options right, for my kids. Right. My six-year-old is in a charter school. My 13-year-old is in EBR um, magnet school. Mm-hmm. My other kids are in a, in a private school. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on where right. those kids are and what right. options are available right. to them. We can't close down shopping. And again, education to me, um, exposure is the best educator. Right. Bayo introduced me because I did not know about charter school movement, the the impact that it had on on communities. And they flew a group of us into New Jersey. And I'll never forget this experience, Clay. I was in New Jersey, walked into this urban school in an inner city community. 
And the children there, you could tell just, you know, looking at them that they, you know, had come from some pretty tough backgrounds. These kids, we walked into the classroom. First of all, we walked into the principal's office, and she had sort of this war room approach Mm -hmm. to the way that her her teachers were being trained, the schedule. I mean, it was a science on her wall, and she showed us all of it. We walked into the classroom. These kids were like leading the classroom. Yeah. So they opened their mouths, and you would think that they, their parents were educated at Harvard. See, that kind of stuff is intoxicating to me when you see that. It makes you so excited when when they internalize what they're learning right. and can communicate on that level because in the real world if you're doing something and you've got applied knowledge that's the way it works that's right. well let me tell you the, the best thing the principal told us because because it's a balance yeah, right yeah. because these are inner city kids that have real inner city issues mm-hmm, when they go home mm-hmm. and she said tara she said we never tell a child that the way that they speak at home is incorrect right. because that's their family, right. that's their, their right. culture, that's their right. environment. She says, but we create a laboratory here. Mm-hmm. And she said, whenever you walk across the threshold of this door, we speak only standard English. That's right. And so so you to hear the children speak, mm-hmm. they understood that, hey, this is the proper way, this is the professional mm-hmm. way, this is the educated way to speak. But at the same time, they were still able to celebrate and educate their part and their place in their family. You get them How to want to lift themselves, that? and it's hard to teach someone that you're demeaning. That's right. That's you're absolutely right. And I feel the same way about helping someone. You, you don't help someone by stripping them of their dignity mm. or their identity or their identity. That's right. Because these kids will learn. You know, like you said, speaking the king's English, they'll get there. But by demeaning them, that's all they know. Mm. And the people they're with at the house are the people they believe love them. That's right. So it, it's amazing. Talking about the neighborhoods, we we talked about blight. We brought up blight earlier. So for the benefit of people who hear discussions about blight, Mm -hmm. it is such a complicated issue. And that's what I would like to take a second talking about. When people see all these abandoned buildings, this, you know, four foot high front yard with all kinds of crap in the yard and everything. Why can't the city do something about that? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. It's a big old machine. (laughs) and it does not move fast and it gobbles up everything but let's explain to people how that process works yeah so there's and there's a real simple answer and we actually can do something and so the the committee that that i formed we actually have um finally got to the point where we've identified the problem but let me back up real quick so i'm also a member of the keep Baton Rouge beautiful board who talks about litter and a lot of times we don't think when we think about blight it's kind of in its express form it's it's the major Mm -hmm. monster that's Mm -hmm. there but it really starts like when i drove down the street the other day and there was this young guy right in front of me and he rolled his window down that's what people do and And he yep yep. and it wasn't like a piece of trash they throw bags an entire plate oh oh, yeah a styrofoam Um, plate that he see it i was so livid and so my, my, my daughter my 22 year old was in the car she's like mama don't do it don't do it and I'm pulling up next to this guy to like so did you really like who's gonna pick that up does your mom go, is gonna come and pick up after you but he sped away and I couldn't okay. get him but yeah, that's kind of okay Tyra but it, I know right it's I gotta calm down you know? I gotta calm down but it starts there but yeah. at the end of the day we were able to do the research and look really internally to be yeah. honest because yeah. it did not make sense that the citizens were doing their job they were calling and reporting it the parish attorney was were doing their job. They were identifying and, and um, making notification to the violators mm-hmm. that they were in violation. All of that process was working. We were getting to the finish line and we were tripping at the finish line. And it's very simple. Why? Because in order for there to be a, a, um, a fine or a lien attached to that particular violation where mm-hmm. we can actually go after and, and acquire those funds and put those funds back into the coffers to use for cleanup, the city actually has to go out and clean it up. 
So we were not, there was never a bill generated that would even allow the legal process to continue on. Well, how's that possible? It's Well, because manpower and resources. We okay, don't have- so- so if let's say going through this so people mm-hmm. can get this linearly because they're right. listening to the audio. I'm driving down the road or, or, or let's say I live in a, in a neighborhood right. and a house has been abandoned and unkept for a year. Mm-hmm. So I call. Do I call 311? Yes. You call okay. I call 311. Make sure you get a service request number when you call. <laughs> okay. I call 311 and I get a service request number. And what happens then? At that juncture, they send out an inspector or okay. someone from DPW, code right. enforcement. They go out, take pictures, and say, okay, this is a violation. That that information is sent back to the parish attorney's office. The parish attorney's office says, yes, this is a violation. They send out a notification to that property owner to say, hey, you're in violation. Mm-hmm. You have X amount of days to get this cleaned up. Okay. And then um, either they clean it up or they don't. Right. More often than not, they don't. Because yeah. a lot of people well, have right. realized that... Nothing's going to happen right. if I don't. That's right. And so at the end of the day, what's supposed to happen is if that violation is not cleared, mm-hmm. the city's supposed to go out and clear it. And then that gives us sort of a bill that we can attach to that person's letter or whatever to say, okay, you're responsible now. Now, the, the interesting thing is that for grass liens and um, condemnation liens, that if you don't pay that, it goes on your tax rolls every year. Hmm. We do have the provision within the law to do the same thing with blight and trash. The problem is, is we were never generating a bill to even put on their property. So at the last meeting, we said, let's go ahead and change that. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure that we put enough resources within blight elimination that y'all have the manpower and the the capacity to go out and clean up Mm -hmm. how much how how great grateful everyone would be. And then that bill would be attached to that person's. Tax records. Okay. And then you have the option of either paying it or you can lose your property. Right. So overnight, literally, Clay, our, we can we can clean that up ourselves. So is it is that starting now that, that you're starting to be able to address some of these properties? Because yes. there are hundreds of them around yeah. the city. So there's 1,500. <sighs> that's just, and, wow. and check this out. That was only what was reported. So we still have a number of properties that are out there that are blighted that were not, not even, even reported. Don't, and so you don't even know they're don't there. Even so we we did. The, the parish attorney office now is is crafting an agenda item for us to go in and change that. The other problem is that there was a discrepancy in the contract mm-hmm. with Republic Service, who's responsible for picking up trash. Right, right. Republic and in the mayor's office said that, well, it is in the in the contract that they can go in and pick up. Um, trash and debris Mm -hmm. on a vacant lot. Parish attorney says, I'm telling you, I will state my career on this. It is not in the contract. And so she read it to me, and the way that it's interpreted is it's actually not. The other question is, if it is in the contract, obviously it's not getting done. Right. So the the rule is is that what we're we're amending to solidify that and make sure it's in law is that if it's on the Mm right-of-way, then as part of their normal routine route, they should be able to go in and pick that up. So over in, in the next few months or whatever, once we approve that, Clay, you should see a major, major difference. I think that's a big deal for Baton Rouge yeah. is how and, – and some and again, the people have a lot to do with that too because like you said, I've seen it. Uh, you know, I-10 at Segan, oh my goodness, oh, everything's yeah. out over there. And any place where traffic sits for a while, you see people drop stuff out. It's right. like, is there not a garbage can where you're going? right. Right. Do you have to throw that out the? I just and, and I think in the end of the day, we're probably going to have to do multiple, do more, put more 
canisters out. I mean, mm -hmm. there was an initiative where they had them sort of at certain intersections and people could, you know, if you sit yeah, at the Yeah, but still, line. that's, you know, we used to call that home training back right. in the day. That, <laughs> you know, it's like, where's your home training? Yes. That you, you, you know, I think if you lift the fine, if you made it just some ridiculous number, it would get people's attention because 90% of the people would go, well, I'm never going to have to pay that fine because right. I ain't ever throwing bags out of the window or the car. You just got to catch them, though. That's well, the problem. Well, that's the thing, you know, they, they, their camera's everywhere, though. You would yeah. think you, somebody's going to come up with a camera that catches you doing it and a photographs you. It's going to happen. It is. Uh, and so law enforcement yes. here, you know, two weeks ago, the attorney, as we record this, the attorney general decided not to pursue charges against the officers. He also, and this is the thing that most people are having an issue with, he decided not to send it to a grand, grand jury. jury. Right. And then the police chief made his decision to suspend Officer Howie Lake for three days and then terminate uh, Officer Blaine Salamone. Right. Obviously, the town has to move on. The department has to roll forward. Officer Salamone is going to use whatever legal vehicle he has to to appeal this. And, and that'll be what it'll be. And I've actually said on the show that I'm not going to get heavily into the details of what I think about all of it until that's all played out. Simply right. because I've spoken to, as I'm sure you can imagine, a lot of people associated with this. But. And, and, I'll, and I'll give you the same cover on this, obviously, yeah. because you're a city official. But the perception of the police department, I believe, is important to the city. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily feel like making police a political football on either side is helpful to the police department. That's right. I, I, I absolutely 100% agree. And I think that... You know, they have to be able to be in a position of being able to make decisions. You know, part of part of government, our job, Clay, is to protect the health, the safety, and the welfare of the citizens. Mm -hmm. And so all of those different components fall in there. And so the police department, if your citizens don't feel like they're safe, mm -hmm. if they feel like their community is sort of under siege, yeah. you know, that affects you economically, it sure. affects you socially, it, it impacts everything. And so it the police department has to be in a position of where they're able to simply uh, do their job yep. in a sense. And, and and I recognize that there are certain things that's going to happen that because of the virtue, yeah, the, the, sure. you know, the, the nature of what they do. Exactly. Right. It's going to it'll be political whether we want it to or not. But it really should not be sort of the, the common character of the police department is that everything that we do becomes a political right. issue because they, they become ineffective at that point. Well, for me, and I've said this before, that the same problem, and there's such similarities, and it's kind of awkward and, and ironic, the inner city should never have a blanket thrown over it to where people believe it's only thugs and criminals and, and addicts who live there. Right. Because that's untrue. That's the police department should never have a blanket thrown over it is that it's just a bunch of bigots and racists and criminals That's who right. wear badges. That's right. That, too, is untrue. That's true. And so on both sides, you have these blanket generalities that happen when you're talking about two factors or two factions that need one another. That's right. Poorer communities, whether black, white, Hispanic or whatever, need law enforcement a heck of a lot more than affluent ones yeah. do. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and you're absolutely right. One of the things that we that came, we did a, a sort of a year and a half long process of hearing from the community because mm-hmm. we the community so badly needed that bridge. Right? right. And so we created the police policy review committee and looked at all the recommendations and, and literally verbatim took everybody's yeah. comment and, and allowed BRCC, Southern University and LSU to do the background research, mm-hmm. what was being done across the country and put together that policy paper, which was absolutely phenomenal. But one of the major things that came out of that is that there will be this establishment and the community police ambassador program was one of those mm-hmm. recommendations. And from that, was the establishment of these community connection centers. And the community connection centers is really neat because it allows an opportunity for the um, um, removal of blight, mm-hmm. whether it's an old abandoned storefront or yeah. whatever, but also it gives a neutral place where that can happen, where people can come in and have a conversation and discussion. And Chief Paul loves it. He said, I would love to be able to see it where uh, people can come in and actually report something positive that the police <laughs> officers are doing, as well as file a complaint, even right. put in 311 requests. Right. But, right. you know, PBS is at the table, and we have all these different partners that says, hey, we have services that for family and kids here. And it becomes this sort of neutral place that everybody can come on common ground and say, let's work together. Mm-hmm. Let's because we need each other more than we don't need each other. Right. And allow the lines of communication to be open, allow it to be a relaxed atmosphere, because you have very few people that will ever feel comfortable walking into a police sure. station. Yeah. And so that kind of gives the opportunity for that bridge to, to happen. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I live in the inner city. I live in the very same house that I grew up in. My <laughs> mom and dad gave us the house when I got married, Clay Wright. And, and and my husband is just the greatest husband on the planet. He we chose to stay in that neighborhood, and, wow. you, and we have it all. We have. Yeah. I had a prostitute that was you know that died right across the street from my house. Wow. And um, so you know the drug dealing and all of that. But we made a decision to stay there because we are a married family. Mm-hmm. We're raising our children, a married couple raising our children, going to work every day. That's not and an example. And we pastor a church, yeah. and so that's not an example that many of those children in that neighborhood have an opportunity wow. to see, right? Wow. So there are good people yeah. that Absolutely. live in the inner city. Nice. You know, and my husband, like I said, is a former state police officer. There there are so many more police officers on the force that absolutely love policing because it's the right thing to do. They feel called as as called to be an officer as I do to be a councilwoman. Mm -hmm. It's their anointing. Mm -hmm. It's their calling. And you have some really great officers. So you cannot put this wide blanket over, uh, you know, that's what everybody in that particular neighborhood or that industry is on either side. It becomes so silly. And, you know. The early stages of social media hmm. might have been its golden era, <laughs> right. because right now, it you know George Sells used to say, uh, he used to use the phrase a cesspool of misinformation, mm. and it's it's so true because every look and everybody's got a right to their own opinion, and I don't use my platform to bash anybody else's opinion right. simply because you know people have have the right to think for themselves. Right. But I'm often asking, what's the end game? Mm. with this wow what's the end game yeah and and i'll ask you this i I was talking to broderick baggard about this because we were talking about i had two shows on saint george and so i had him on with together baton rouge and then the attorney for the incorporation movement in here and so i wanted both perspectives and talked to both of them and i said politics so often now not with a hundred percent of the electeds obviously but with a with a i'm going to say a great majority is that 
the effort is to appear right more than mm-hmm. it is to appear effective. Wow, that's good. That's good. Because there's a difference between that's the two true. things. Because sometimes just, you're wrong and you change yeah. so you can be effective. And I just want, and I just want to, and you have people that I just want to, I want to be heard or I want to get my right. point across. So I just want my voice heard. Right. And whether I'm right about the situation, because there were there are a couple of instances and agendas that were out there more recently, and and I asked that same question. Right. I said. At the end of the day, you know, even if you win this war right, that you're right, fighting, right. what's on the other side what's of that? What, what's what do you what you know? Have you even thought about beyond right. the fight? What happens to make it better? And right. that becomes my frustration because a lot of times people don't sit down to think beyond the fight. Right. Like, have we sat down at the table and rationalized if I win this? Okay, this is the result right. of what? And right. they, they're not doing they that. They just want the win. Yeah. Nobody's right all the time. No one wins every battle. Yeah. yeah. Let me just say this real quick. So my husband and I, in addition to the hundred things that we do, we teach a couples academy, right? And so... You, we teach couples about conflict resolution and, and how to see each other's side. And one of the most powerful lessons that we teach couples is compromise. Mm. And the compromise lesson talks about the fact that, you know, there's things about you, your bones of your life that sure. you're never going to change. That's right. just who I am. If That's you change right. that, I won't be who right. I am. Right. But there are other things around that particular issue that you could be flexible on. Mm-hmm. And I think that we forget the opportunity. We draw this line in the sand and we never even get to the table mm-hmm. to talk about what's the compromise mm-hmm. where's the win on both sides of right. this and at the end of the day it becomes the people in the community what's the big win for everybody beyond just I'm, i want my opinion heard. right and and it's it's we're at a place now where nothing gets done because it's not about effectiveness mm-hmm. you know when the two sides of the you know you notice we've been having this conversation for now almost 43 minutes yeah and we never get into left-right politics yes because i think that that is a farce. I think that that is, I mean, the public is so pump faked on that. Yeah. And I said, it's all about getting it done. Take Baton Rouge, for instance. Mm-hmm. We all know what our traffic realities are. Yes. They have been this way for 20 plus years yes. and, and even longer. But in the last 20 years, we've seen the population swell in ways that it had, it had never swelled before. That's right. Especially since 05 after Katrina. Yes. But we can't even get to the discussion about what do we do because it's like, no, nah, not going to do that. Not going to support that. Let's at least have the conversation. All right. Let's agree at the end of it. We don't have to agree, but let's at least talk about it. Exactly. And, and because if you if you're not having the conversation and you just stuck at, you know, I don't like you or you're with this particular oh party or you're yeah. that, then you never really get to the issues. And I'm telling you, Clay, and you and I have had this conversation a lot that that we are so much more alike yep. than we're different. And I'm, and I'm talking about just you know, race. Right. People right. want right. a decent right. quality of life. Like right. everybody at the end of the day wants the ability to be able to raise their family, right. make a living, and enjoy their community. That's common. So it, it, even if we just start with having that common conversation, you know, with, with transportation, again, you got to be able to sit at the table because there is a resolve. Mm-hmm. You know, there are cities across the country that have effectively dealt with their traffic and transportation sure. issues it takes time though it does but i mean we've not even started 
And, you know, infrastructure wise with drainage and everything, I said, if most people who've been here more than seven years, we know where it floods when it rains. That's right. You can you can you can go. We right can there. name the roads. You can go. <laughs> we know this is, this is the problem. So why not go ahead as opposed to looking, you know, even holistically? I think people would genuinely appreciate the fact that that particular problem right there has we've we've identified it. We've addressed it. Right. Everybody knows about it. Right. Just deal with that. Just and, deal with and, that. and solve that issue. Man. People would simply appreciate, you know, policy in action and in in allow the opportunity for things to be solved as opposed to us just sitting around talking about the problem. It's interesting talking about politics and the and the the interesting nature of of your career in it is that you are a registered Democrat who worked for a Republican <laughs> who now represents an overwhelmingly inner city African-American district. I know, right? <laughs> like it's, unicorn. It's the, it's, best like <laughs> of, it's the best of all worlds because because I don't have to let any of that define me, that's, right? But see, that's the freedom. It's like it, you can't be put into a box. That's right. It's like, how could you put me in a box? It's, it's, it's the best. And it was so funny because we had, a, we had a, um, a vote that came down on some issue and one of my colleagues looked at me and they said, you know, uh, you were the only African-American that voted on that issue. And it was funny because one of my um, colleagues on the other side of the aisle was the only one also that voted on the side of the African-Americans. And, and, and both of us, and it was Trey, actually. And so both of us have this ability to be like, you know what? We're good. We're not right. going to be defined by, right. Right. In, we're going to do what I believe is the right thing to do. That's it. Uh, not color, right. not any of that, but just what is the heart of what I believe is the right thing to do. Because at the end of the day, that's all that you can send in the mirror and say, I did my best. And you can respect someone, even if you disagree with them, if you feel like they're standing on their core principles. That's right. That it's not just some political play. But that's, people want the sound bites now, Tyra. They, 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 they want the tweets. They want the retweets. They want the shares or the Facebook videos. And I'm thinking, ah. I, I just I just can't go down that. But I, but I do believe I can't go down that road. And I do believe that there are more people that want to see real change, mm-hmm. real action, mm-hmm. heartfelt commitment right. than there are individuals that are on that other side that just want the same. I agree. Bite. And the public is waiting on that kind of leadership. Yeah. Well, listen, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, all the things that you're a part of, how can they do that? Sure. So we have um, the opportunity. We do a lot of stuff on our, our BRGov website. Um, um, also, you can definitely always call my office directly, 389-5140. Uh, I am very open. I'm an open book. Yes, so if you yes. need to give me a call, I will, you know, I'll give my cell number. Just promise me you won't call me at two o'clock in the morning because I will answer and then I'll get in trouble and I have to stay married. But, you know, I want to be. Um, hey, Mike used to be a cop, so don't mess around. Right? <laughs> you know, I, I think it's important that when people have issues, you need to, they need to be able to, to reach you. And right. so um, call my office. Let's get together. Let's sit down and talk. Um, I love to have these discussions. I'm a Baton Rouge daughter, and mm-hmm. this is my home. This is my community. You know, I will be here. I'm raising my babies here, and I believe it's the best place on the planet to be. Well, look, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this, and, and you know, I, th- I think there's going to be more to come in terms yeah. of these dialogues. We'll get Mike in here with us one That'd time. That would be great. <laughs> and, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll dominate the conversation, though. You know, he's a preacher. You give him a microphone, it's over. You know what? <laughs> I mean, let, me, let me reconsider that. Let's have a sidebar about that. Just messing with you, Mike. Just 
just messing with you. This has been awesome. Tyra, thank you so much, my dear. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. This is Dr. Mary Catherine Rodri. And I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. You know, this time of year, most people enjoy South Louisiana weather in the evenings, being outside. And one of the only things that could ruin that is a mosquito bite. They're painful and they're not so great for your kids. John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pestop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution, can help you eliminate the problem, correct? We really can. We've, we have a couple of products. We have these handheld foggers mm-hmm. uh, that you can... Love those things. Oh, yeah, they're cool. You can put them on the patio and just hit this little remote button and there it goes go. off for a few seconds mm-hmm. and the wind kind of pushes it around. Yep. We also have a liquid that is a synthetic pyrethroid that you apply on the lawn and most important application is going to be the underside of the leaves of your shrubbery. Okay, okay. And it can last up to three months between applications. Okay, so in the Baton Rouge area, we're outside a lot. How can I buy this? With Combined CS, our store is located at 806 O'Neill Lane. That's about a block south of Old Hammond Highway. Or give us a call with questions at 273-4788. Visit the showroom, get the information at Pest Stop. This is the Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. That was fun. (laughs) Man, covered a lot of great subjects there with Tyra Wicker, Metro Councilwoman. And as you see, she's got a whole lot going on. I love the perspective about why she and Mike stayed where they are and the example that they hope to set to kids there. And it's interesting for those of you who have seen Tyra on television as a council person and in the newspaper with everything going on, you get a chance to actually hear her hear her think and hear her talk and the whole way it works. And, you know, whether you agree or disagree with everything done in government, I think when you understand what people's objectives are, it does give you a little bit more perspective. And I've known her now, I'm just thinking about almost 20 years, man, time blows by, blows by. All right, don't forget, as I said at the beginning, our fundraiser on May 20th is happening. Mark your calendars for it. We appreciate you guys listening to the show. I appreciate Councilwoman Wicker for coming in and spending some time with us and talking about so many issues facing Baton Rouge and the surrounding areas. It has been amazing, and we'll catch you on episode 159 of The Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.